like a locomotive sipping, drinking Arizona. Mixtape just around the corner, did a lot in California. Can't wait to drop this on you. Yeah, they gon' have fun with that. Smash like Songum and my songs gon' break through like a running back. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton. Welcome. Happy Ramadan. Happy Nowruz. Ramadan Mubarak. Nowruz Mubarak to everybody that is celebrating Persian New Year's, to everybody that's selling Ramadan wherever you are in the world. I hope you can all find some joy and some great time with friends and family over the next few days and weeks. But we are here to talk about Formula One. First of all, Mr. Daly, big shout out to you. As uh, our listeners probably noticed, I was not here on Sunday. I won't get into the specifics, but I had a bit of a fall on Saturday, got a concussion. I was not in a good position to do this podcast. But credit to Mr. Daly, because minutes before we were to start recording on Sunday, I bailed. He jumped in. He knocked it out of the park. You did a great job. Downloads are fantastic, and the feedback's really, really strong, man. So thank you so much for covering for me on Sunday. I really appreciate it, friend. Yeah, of course, and just uh, any time, and glad to hear that that uh, that you're doing uh, well. And of course, you know, you mentioned, uh, of course, some important things uh, going on as well. And I just wanted to wish all of our Muslim friends that they have a, a happy and peaceful and blessed Ramadan, the special holy month uh, coming up. It's just exciting. It's such a fun time of year, right? You know, spring is in the air in the northern hemisphere. I'm just uh, excited. You know, like yesterday here in our neck of the woods, it was sunny, it was warm, it was it was gorgeous, and today. It was about like 12 degrees centigrade cooler. <laughs> there was fresh snow on the mountains. It's just, uh, you know, as, as, as many like fun, you know, and, and wonderful th- things there are going on. You can always count on our weather here in the Pacific Northwest to do Pacific Northwest things. So, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling... I'm feeling chilled tonight, but pumped up and excited and ready to do the show. I mean, there's so much going on before we're going to hit the brakes and have a summer break in <laughs> in April. <laughs> the April break this year. The, the April break. Course, yeah. There's no Chinese Grand Prix, so we get a four-week break after Australia. So relish, relish the Formula One that we have left before the spring break that is subsequently followed shortly by a summer break. But lots of stuff to talk about, man. I think where I would love to start, and I'm going to kind of mm-hmm. jump ahead a little bit here, is I'm dying for your take on the fallout from the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. And of course, the fallout relating to the fact that Fernando Alonso, for the second consecutive race, scores a podium, two races with Aston Martin, two podiums, two trophies. But then all of a sudden, despite the fact that he was on the podium celebrating, that trophy was snatched away and handed over to George Russell, and then subsequently snatched away from George Russell and handed back to Fernando Alonso. You've had a week to to sober up, to think about this. What are your lingering thoughts and memories from that moment and all the confusion that followed that Grand Prix? Yeah, confusion. Yeah, that that's the perfect way to put it, uh, Mark. And you know, it, it's been almost a week, like you say, but it still doesn't sit well with me. It just it, it makes the sport look bad. And there's like so many quotes from so many different people around in Formula One, basically saying the same thing. It's like I said in the podcast on Sunday night. It's like, did they not learn anything after Abu Dhabi 21? Uh, you know, I, I guess not. You know, I know that was like the peak of. The craziness, right? And the worst that it could have turned out because that decided a world championship. But this, I don't know, it just, it doesn't sit well with me. The, the fact that they went back and forth to the rock, this remote operations center. And, you know, 
when I, I said on the pod, it's just like in basketball, you don't like, you know, 30 seconds before the final buzzer, you don't go to the referee and say, hey, you know, that foul that you missed in the first quarter. I think we should go back and look at that. I mean, if it, if it's a penalty, it's a penalty right from the beginning. And it was just weird how it transpired. You know, they tell George Russell to speed it up because Fernando might be getting another time penalty. And we didn't see anything because usually you'll get that message from race control that car number 14 is under investigation because reasons. We saw none of that. And it was just so strange because we finished watching the race. We didn't, we, we got, we started watching a little bit late. So we were about maybe half an hour behind the live feed by the time it finished. So, you know, as soon as the race was over, jumped on the phone and sure enough, said that Fernando had his third place taken away because of the, you know, they're working on the car during the, you know, the five second stop go penalty that he had. And then I was sitting in the car later on in the day at, and I was, I looked at my phone and it said that he, or I saw on Twitter that he's like, oh, really happy about my hundredth podium. And I'm just like, is this kind of like Fernando kind of giving F1 the finger that, you know, even though they took away his podium, he's still counting it as a podium. And then, you know, the joke was on me because I went back. And then when I got home, I noticed that it said that he'd been reinstated. I'm just like, you know, this, this is just such a, a bad look for the supposed pinnacle of motor racing on the planet and and a week later it just it it just it just irks me you know it just looks so unprofessional yeah i have to reference a and this is supposed to be later in our outline but i'm going to jump to it now because we're in the meat of the conversation <laughs> the juicy and i, stuff I was first. dying to have had this conversation with you on sunday but yeah. scott mitchell malm for the race wrote a really great article that i'll tweet out uh to all of our listeners but he speaks to the fact that Part of the issue, and I might be misinterpreting his words, but part of the issue here is that Formula One relies and the FIA relies on enforcing rules, not necessarily as they're written, but in the spirit of the rule, the spirit of the understanding of what that rule means. And then when they're suddenly challenged, as Aston Martin did here, the rules are sometimes and the regulations sometimes are so softly and vaguely worded that with a single challenge, they crumble. And he writes here, and I'm going to quote from this article, uh, the combination of the rule as written and the unofficial exception that had been established meant there was no provable violation of the rule Aston Martin was alleged to have broken. Aston Martin has taken advantage of a real flaw in modern day F1 rulemaking. There has been so much discussion of how things should be interpreted interpreted and what the rules really mean that some rules are enforced by understandings and agreements. In other words, how the rules are enforced sometimes does not match the wording of the rules, which is the key legal point. In this instance, he continues, the general understanding never made it into the regulations has generally been observed in the spirit without issue. When that is no longer the case, though, clearly such a process is totally undermined. So it's interesting that the teams, the sport, the FIA sometimes has a consensus agreement or understanding of how a rule should be adjudicated. But if challenged and they challenge the wording of the rule, that that understanding crumbles because the two are very, very different. And again, I don't necessarily fault the FIA for the wording of the rules because again, the teams in Formula One and the FIA, they collaborate on that wording. But I certainly do 
criticize the FIA for the adjudication in this specific application. The fact that, like you said, you you can't be calling this penalty at the end of the race. By calling it so late, you've you've misinformed how teams and rivals should be should be competing in that race. Should they be pushing? Should be they letting up? Should they have a different tire strategy? And then just yep. the confusion of the fact that on a national, international, global TV broadcast, you have Fernando Alonso up there with his sponsor celebrating only for that to be taken from him. And the fact that George Russell was robbed of that opportunity only for it then to be taken back from George Russell is such an amateur look. It is such an amateur Bush league look for formula one. And I just think there's Mm -hmm. more than one group to blame. I think this is, I think there's blanket blame to go around and they really need to relook at how these were or how these rules are going to be written going forward. Yeah. You know, the, the thing is you, you know, when you were, you talking about the, the challenge to it and when uh, under scrutiny, and under review, it didn't just crumble. Aston Martin blew it up, what, about like seven yes, times over? Yes. Because they had like seven instances where this exact exactly. same thing had happened in the in the past. It wasn't enforced. And they had the video of it. I was just like, oh my God, are you kidding me? How, how do they accumulate? You, you work in data. You work in yeah. business. Like, how did you manage to capture and accumulate that much evidence, that much data so quickly. The fact that they were able to prepare, like identify, prepare and like, oh, so credit to them because they needed, they did what they needed to do to secure and keep that third place podium and the, the, or the associated points. But I think the Scott Mitchell Malm piece is, is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just sort of thinking, you know, apart from like Esteban Ocon's escapades in Bahrain three, four weeks ago right. now, right, I mean, right, th- right. that was that was one that they could have obviously gone and checked right away. I don't know if that was one of the seven instances, but, you know, to, to find another six on top of that, I mean, I, I can't think of other ones right off the top of my head. I mean, they, they obviously happen on a fairly regular basis throughout each and every season but i mean somebody somewhere has like a database or some way to to access these things and you know the, to have the video of it too it wasn't like they were scrambling back at the pits it's like somebody get the corporate visa we need to su- uh, subscribe to f1 tv pro here people and like pull up the video for each one of them i mean that's impressive it, it really is impressive how they did it so quick it also makes me question the rotating, and you and I have been talking about this for years, and it comes up in spaces all the time, but the the value of having a dedicated, permanent, professional group of race stewards that mm. rotate every race weekend that we we know the reality is you're going to have that local guy, you're going to kind of have another local guy, you're going to have a couple of pros that have probably done some of like the the, the the composition of those stewards needs to be a full-time crew that spends their yep. entire calendar year working the Formula One calendar, preparing, training. I, that You just need to have a dedicated crew so you get more consistency when it comes to making these calls and calling these penalties and rescinding these penalties. There's some low-hanging fruit here. The way the rules are written, the, the way that the race is adjudicated, the timeliness with which they call these penalties, all these pieces. So yeah, I think we can summarize this was that it was Bush League and it was embarrassing and it was not a good look for Formula One. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Hammy, do you want to uh, go now and do the the championship updates, the fantasy updates yeah. and all Since that I uh, got fun us stuff? Since I off and- track instantly, I think that's a fair place to start. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's all good though. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of fun to kind of switch it up from, from time to time here. I mean, we kind of stick to our, our own thing, but here we go. Let, let's start with the 2023 Formula One World Championship on the driver's side. And of course, as soon as I want that, I can't get my browser to switch. Anyways, Max Verstappen leading the way, 44 points, a single point ahead of his Red Bull teammate, Sergio Perez, who has 43. Fernando Alonso, the Aston Martin driver. No, you did not hear me incorrectly. Fernando, third in the World Championship with 30 points. 10 points ahead of Carlos Sainz from Ferrari with 20, who is currently tied with Lewis Hamilton from Mercedes, who is fifth, also with 20 points. Uh, Carlos ahead on the tiebreaker. And then George Russell, the second Mercedes, is six with 18 points. Over on the constructor side, we have Red Bull leading the way with 87 points. Aston Martin, 38 points, tied with Mercedes, who also have 38 points, although Aston Martin ahead in the championship by virtue of uh, better results which uh, you know gives them the tiebreaker. Ferrari is fourth and Alpine is fifth to round out the top five. So uh, Aston Martin holding their own through a couple of uh, races. So Hammy, over to you. Cha- or, um, fantasy Ready to go. Updates. Yeah. Fantasy updates. So for starters, and I haven't shared this, I am 116th out of 903 teams. So I'm very, very happy. I'm sitting on 585 points. But the folks that are actually leading the charge right now, number one, longtime listener in front of the show, Bengals, Bubs, 706 points. Number two, Audi F1 team, 693. Number three, Aston Gives You Wings, 680. Also at 680, Charles CL. Also at 680, free Ukraine. I totally agree with that. Number six with 677 points, Green Bull Romeo. Number seven, Mikey Bears with 676. Also with 676, Jesse H. Number nine, the bad guy one. Also number nine with 674 points. Long Ships, number 11, Fire Ferrets with 673 points. Also with 673 points, Nathan's team. Number 13, Jeff Payne with 671. Also with 671, Mr. Saucy Nug. And finally, 15th radio check with 670 points so that rounds out the top 15 but great to see and recognize some names there from our twitter community i'm so happy to see people that we know and interact with us on a regular basis doing really well in this pool yeah and you know i I moved up from like 599 to like 411 or something like that but i made a move this week I made a move this week, and for me, the the McLaren hype train has officially come to a screeching halt. I dumped Lando. I've dumped oh, Lando from my from my fantasy team. Yeah, I decided to to make some moves. I decided not to be like Mercedes. I decided I got to make changes and I got to make them Spicy. now. So I decided, uh, yeah, I decided that Lando, even though I love Lando, he just doesn't have the equipment to get it done right now. So, you know, there, there there's an option to to bring Lando back at some point if uh, if I want to, but for for now, I. I Decided to make the tough call and and, and part ways with uh, LN4. Okay, so that kind of segues nicely into our first piece of news. So McLaren, yeah. So the I guess they're realizing that the their their hype train is kind of um, you know not 
well, there's nothing they could really do to hype up the first two races of the season. So uh, after the, the the very lackluster and poor start to 2023, they made some big changes across their technical de- departments, and James Key has now left the team. Now, this was a big appointment a couple of years ago when they snatched him away from Toro Rosso, right? And then did he not sit out for basically an entire season on you know the quote-unquote gardening leave or whatever they call it uh, before he actually took up his role officially at, uh, at at McLaren. So it's it's interesting too. They've decided to move away from a, an executive technical uh, director role. So what are they going to have a, you know, um, I don't know, some three, four, five-headed monster or something like that? That was exactly like right the up- term that <laughs> I was going to use was a three-headed monster. And I think it's really important for Formula One teams, especially on the technical side, to consolidate that, I don't want to say power, but consolidate those leadership responsibilities into, into a single person. And I find that this is a very unusual move for this team to make. And I think it's also... Uh, related, it's probably time to start putting a little bit of pressure on on Zach Brown, that he's obviously the CEO of the Greater McLaren Racing Organization, and he oversees everything happening at Woking and with their IndyCar um, efforts and their Formula E efforts. But I find that this is an admission that not only what what wasn't working was a disaster, but that it was so bad they need to go into an entirely different different direction, says Zach Brown. It's important now that we ensure we have a solid foundation as the next phase of our journey. It has been clear to me for some time that our technical development has not moved at a quick enough pace to match our ambition of returning to the front of the grid. I'm pleased that having completed a full review with Andrea, we are now able to implement the restructure required to set the wheels in motion to turn this around. These strategic changes ensure the long-term success of the team and are necessary to see McLaren get back to winning ways. We have everything coming into place now with our people and infrastructure and alongside an exciting driver lineup, I'm determined to see McLaren get back to where we should be. I guess the other consideration here too is in a lot of ways, there's some commonalities between McLaren and Aston Martin that they're pretty fair comps in a couple of ways, both in the sense Mm -hmm. that they have similar infrastructure that supports the organization. Of course, in the last decade, McLaren suffered some pretty significant financial blows and they've relied on international capital to keep the keep the organization moving but they have very similar infrastructure to Aston Martin for example and like Aston Martin they're a Mercedes customer team so i think that the pressure really is on Zach Brown from a leadership perspective and from a sponsorship perspective that this team has built a hype train and they've built huge amounts of global support and they've done a phenomenal job of attracting sponsors, but sponsors mm-hmm. want nothing more than to be associated with a winning team. And I think now there's this direct comp, this direct comparable to McLaren, which is Aston Martin. And here we are two races into the 2023 season and they've got two podiums and they would be better. They would be better positioned in the constructors championship if not for for Lance's unfortunate DF DNF, but they are just worlds, absolute worlds apart. And there is absolute no quick fix to turn around the McLaren situation that they are now a year, two years away from being reasonably competitive. You know, we were in a spaces chat earlier today and Peter made this comment about the fact that going into 2022, some teams just clearly understood the assignment. 
meaning they understood the regulations and they recognized what they needed to do to be immediately competitive. And if you look at the teams that didn't understand the assignment, clearly McLaren is is one of them. And last year, it was easy to point the finger at Daniel Ricardo, but now here we are two races into the season and they seem woefully, woefully uncompetitive. And again, it's a long season. We have 21 races left. We've got two breaks. They are going to benefit from the fact that they're going to have more they're going to have less aerodynamic testing restrictions than some of the other teams because of their poor finish last year. But yeah, not a great time to be a McLaren fan. I know. I was just kind of looking at some of the, uh, as you're pulling or uh, talking there, Hammy, it's just like the, the the sponsors that they have. So we've got Axo Noble, Arrow Electronics, Android, British American Tobacco, boo, uh, Chrome, boo. CNBC, Coca-Cola, Dell Technologies, Delouette, DeWalt. Um, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, the, the, you know, Hilton, Jack Daniels, Logitech. I mean, these are some big, 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 you know, real, you know, blue chip, you know, very, yes. you know, impressive sponsors. So it, yeah, kind of makes you wonder if, uh, you know, the, the, the sponsors have kind of been, you know, leaning on them a little bit. It's like, hey, we're paying you hundreds of millions of dollars per year to, you know, to sponsor this team and get our logo on the side of your car. And you guys are tooling around at the back of the grid. And it's kind of, and, and this isn't, anything new i mean it's kind of been a slow-ish kind of well not really a slow decline i mean last year wasn't great for them after they had a a pretty decent 2020 and 2021 but kind of just makes you wonder have there been any any external pressures right i totally agree and the most important thing to a sponsor is television exposure, meaning they mm-hmm. want your car on the TV screen during a race. And guess what cars don't appear on the TV screen during a race very often? It's those teams battling in sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth place at the back, at the back of, of the grid that the teams that get the TV exposure are the teams that are battling for podiums. And I think a lot of these teams or a lot of these sponsors, and you mentioned a ton of world-class blue chip sponsors like Coca-Cola and Dell, they signed up with certain expectations and this team certainly isn't delivering. So if the team continues to struggle this year, you have to wonder what the long-term outlook is for retaining the services of Lando Norris. And of course, he's under contract now, but also their ability to retain some of these these sponsors at a time when they need to be cashing in on that sponsorship money to reinvest in the team to get themselves out of this developmental performance hole they've dug themselves into. Yeah, I was just looking here too. We should just maybe uh, before we head into a break here, Mark, just go over the uh, the, the people that have taken up a new role. So the first uh, person we're going to mention here is the the technical director of aerodynamics is uh, Peter Prodromu, who he'll oversee the entire aero department. So he's been uh, at McLaren for almost well over thirty years, uh, but did have a, a brief ish interlude from two thousand six to two thousand fourteen at Red Bull. David Sanchez, who was recently with the uh, Ferrari but uh, left when uh, Fred Vasseur uh, joined uh, the team over the offseason. He's going back to McLaren. He will uh, oversee the technical direct for car concept and performance, but uh, he will not be with the team or starting until January 1st of 2024 because he's on gardening leave. You have Neil Hoodley, uh, sorry, Huldy, who is uh, an internal promotion. He will be the uh, role of uh, technical director for engineering design, and he's uh, been there since 2000. And six, so you've got uh, three, uh, you know, 
you know, very, very important roles. But, you know, to me, what I find interesting is Key is out and then replaced by three other people in uh, sort of, and, and I always kind of like wonder about like stuff like that. Um, you know, it's just like, you know, it's, is it you know that old saying that too many chefs spoil the broth? You know, I'm not sure. Um, you know, if this well, let, let's let's just uh, put it this way: time will tell whether or not McLaren and Zach Brown have made the right call. But I guess we should at least give them some you know recognition and some props for at least oh, trying for sure. something for yeah, sure. Yeah, they I needed just, to I do think- something. It's really important to, before we jump to a break, I think it's just really important to recognize as well that if you are a McLaren fan and and you're cheering for them to be successful, which we should all be doing, just that understand that on that technical side, they're not going to be introducing any changes anytime soon, right? Like a lot of the a lot of the stuff that is in the pipeline for this car has been in the pipeline for two, three, six months that they're going to come in and they need to first understand the car, learn the car, learn the team, learn the employees, and then they can start providing input and feedback on the development of the car. So I wouldn't expect that anything they could do this year will influence the current car, that they're going to be heads down working on the 2024 Challenger, which doesn't say a lot about the prospects for this team this year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it it's going to take some time for them to to turn it around. I mean, they did a very good job once this new regime came in and and took over, but they they they've stalled and they've regressed and they they definitely need to do something. And um uh, Interesting times. I know there's a lot of people in this community that uh, that really love cheering for McLaren, and it's uh, been pretty. <laughs> it's been dire straits the first couple of races of the season. Anyways, time for a quick break. Here, we'll come back in just a moment. Don't go away. We'll catch you on the flip side. Passion, drive, and patience—the formula for winning championships—is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to the show. So just to touch quickly, oh, I know what I wanted to do before we go on to the next uh, bit of news. Um, wanted to give a shout out to Bob who left us a review on Apple Podcasts. And uh, Bob said both marks are great and they put on a great podcast. They blend intricate technical conversations with conversations about drivers and racing and bigger overarching subjects and do so in a very enjoyable and thorough way. So cheers for that, Bob. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So uh, Mark, you wanted to quickly also bring or give the, everybody an update on our logo design, which we've been threatening to do for a long time, <laughs> <laughs> but we've never actually gotten around to doing it. Oh my goodness. So we have commissioned somebody. We have an artist lined up and we are in the final stages of putting the funds together. So if you've heard us, by the way, the last couple of podcasts talking about subscribing to the Race Weekend magazine, 
please do that. We get a small commission for every subscription sold. And again, we would not be talking about this if we didn't love the product ourselves. But if you're yes. interested, please do. We get a small, small commission and it all goes right back into the podcast, whether it's the software that we use, whether it's the hardware that we use, whether it's the website hosting fees, et cetera, et cetera. But what we're working on right now is getting the funds set up so we can pay for this new rebranding effort. And the rebranding effort is going to allow us to do a couple of things. One, unleash our website on the world, which we're super excited about. And Daily's been paying for us for about a year, ever since I told him <laughs> we need a website. And they never did anything with it. <laughs> we never and did anything with it. number two, it's going to allow us to do our merch. So our hoodies, our beanies, our hats, our t-shirts. So very, very excited about all of that. Um, I don't want to reveal who the individual is until the artwork is complete. But once we, uh, once we have it ready and we can share it, unleash it upon the world, you will probably all recognize who this individual is because he's done some prominent work for some major professional sporting teams in North America and some really cool automotive publications as well. Yeah, I just never knew that Picasso was such a fan of the podcast. It's pretty cool, man. Also so. <laughs> had to bring him back from the dead. Does details, technicalities, right? Um, going on to the next uh, little uh, stat here. So it was mentioned a number of times and was probably sadly overlooked. Uh, what with the, the whole, is he in third? Is he not? Is it George? Is it Fernando? But Fernando eventually did get his P3. So that was his hundredth in his very long Formula One career, and he's only one of six drivers to accomplish that. So beside Fernando, who are the other six, or sorry, the other five drivers? Well, they should be fairly obvious, I would hope. First one is the GOAT himself, Lewis Hamilton. 191 podium finishes for Lewis Hamilton. That is incredible. Second is Michael Schumacher, the other seven-time world champion, Schumi 155. And then Sebastian Vettel, the quadruple world champion, 122 podium finishes for Seb. Alain Prost, 106. And then finally, the Iceman, Kimi Raikkonen, 103 podium finishes. And I don't know, it just doesn't seem like Kimi had that many because, you know, him kind of being Kimi and not being very, you know, excited and, you know, demonstrative as other drivers when they get up on the on the podium there, maybe... I uh, missed quite a few of those. Anyways, Hamilton, Schubacher, Vettel, Prost, Raikkonen, and Fernando Alonso. Very, very elite uh, company. So, uh, Mark, where do you want to draw, jump to Porsche, next? Porsche. So I Porsche. think we've covered yes. a lot of the Aston Martin stuff and the Fernando yeah. thing. So I think we're think we're pretty good there. But I would love to jump into this Porsche story that was published by Scott Mitchell Malm, again, in the race. And... Scott Mitchell Malm is reporting that, and I quote, Porsche will not join the Formula One grid in 2026 as it is believed to have ended its formal evaluation of a program despite the championship still being of interest. So flashback to a year ago, we were on needles, pins and needles, ready to announce that Porsche was joining Formula One. So much so that Porsche had even started submitting copyright materials in different countries for its forthcoming tie-up with Red Bull. It was reported, it was alleged, it was believed that they were going to buy 50% of Red Bull or a controlling stake in Red Bull, that they would take over Red Bull powertrains and start producing the power unit in-house. It all fell apart. And then subsequent to that, a potential tie-up with McLaren fell apart. 
And now we're sitting here, it's March 23rd, March 24th, 2023. Porsche hasn't started developing a power unit. They haven't signed up for the 2026 power unit regulations. They're in no position to buy a team. It looks like their opportunity to join Formula One, at least for 2026, has possibly vanished. I know you were very excited about a potential return of Formula One or a potential return to Formula One of Porsche after that chaotic brief glimmer with footwork way back in the 1980s. Your thoughts on mm-hmm. the, the fact that Porsche seems to be drifting away from the Formula One paddock at an exceedingly fast rate. Yeah, I'm pretty disappointed about this. I mean, obviously, this is a uh you know, a, a brand that is globally recognized. I mean, their cars catch the uh, the eye no matter where you see them on the on the track or off the track. And I just felt like it was a, a good fit. I thought that Formula One and Porsche would be, you know, w- would would pair well together in this uh, day and age. And this time last year, or maybe closer to the summer and that uh, the 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 Austrian Grand Prix. I mean, it just seemed like there was so much smoke around that fire that it just seemed like it was it was an inevitable done deal and then it was kind of weird how that all unraveled it was just like well we're not going to announce this weekend maybe we'll announce at some point right because we were expecting austria right like we assumed it was going to be the red bull home track and it just didn't happen yeah, and, and that's the weird thing. And I, and I thought to myself at the time, okay, maybe there's some some legal technicalities or something. Maybe there's some some eyes need to need to be dotted, some T's need to be crossed. It's not a big deal, but it it didn't really sit well with me. I, I kept thinking to myself, just uh, you know, when thinking about the situation, like this just seemed like the natural time to do it, and it, it just kind of seemed like a, a bit of a a lame excuse, right? That uh, you know, we're just not quite ready to do it, and. And it's 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 also strange how they've kind of really disappeared from the whole scene now. I thought that they they would find some way in one way or another. I mean, and I I just assumed it might be by buying another team, but secretly I kept thinking to myself, the the only team that kind of made sense. So I, I guess there was two would be uh, uh, Alpha Tauri, which you know sort of kind of not really been for sale, but maybe rumored that they were, but not really. And then I thought, well, the only other team that kind of really makes sense since Sauber is now going to become Audi, then to me the only other logical choice seemed to to be Williams. Like I think that McLaren's going to stick around, even though I know that they, you know, they've had issues with like their road car division and they've basically i mean they they sold off the mtc and they're basically leasing back their own building and despite all that was it was it qatari money or bahraini money bahraini. i know it was all from the yeah, bahraini, yeah um that, uh, that that got invested in so i i mean i was kind of wondering will mclaren in the future still exist in the same way that we uh, see mclaren today and i thought well they'll probably stick around and i thought well maybe porsche might kind of look towards another team and then just naturally that was williams and i've always kind of wondered when you have like a venture capitalist group like derilton come in it's like it, it's to me it always seemed to like like an investment like for 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 the, for Derilton to come in, I'm I'm not going to take away what they're doing, but I just kind of felt like at some point are they are, are they in it for the long term, the short term, or are they just going to try and flip this and make some money off of it? So I, it just to be a kind of it, I kind of felt like maybe that where Porsche might materialize like in like on the grid, and then 
maybe kind of morph like Williams into Porsche, like Audi's going to do with Sauber. Anyways, it's it's just strange. And like I say, in a very long winded sort of way that I, I'm, I'm disappointed it's not going to come about. But obviously, if they can't make it work, maybe that's for the best. You make some really good points. And so does this Scott Mitchell Malm article. And he makes two points that really resonated with me. And they both should have been dire warnings that this wasn't going to happen. One was the fact that all the teams have been signing up to the 2026 Formula One engine regulations. Doesn't mean they're committing, doesn't mean they're going to build anything, but that they're committed to being a part of creating those regulations. And and Porsche didn't do that. And then the other one too is the FIA opened the process for new teams to apply to join the Formula One grid. And we certainly heard about other teams doing so. Porsche had a clean entry to slide in and submit uh, an application to join the grid by starting a new works team. And they didn't do that. And then you touched mm-hmm. on the other one, the really the, the other really good one, which is Williams, you would assume, given that fact that they were basically gobbled up by a company whose history is to buy a property and strip it down and sell the assets, or buy a property, shine it up and resell it, you would have assumed that they would have been open to the idea of selling on the Williams Group. They paid $200 million for it at the height of the pandemic in 2020. There's no question they could sell it for $600 million now. It didn't make any sense to me that Porsche didn't look at Williams as an option to buy the Williams team and then simply buy and rebadge the Audi power units. So you know what? Your your sister company, your sister brand, Audi, is going to be developing their own power units in Germany. Why not buy Williams? You get a works team in essence, and then you can simply buy and rebadge power units from Audi in Germany. Like There are some really logical things they could have done here. And then the other consideration out of all of this is if they're not going to commit to 2026, it's not going to happen in 2027. It's not going to happen in 2028. It's not going to happen again until there's another significant cycle in the regulations. Because if they join in 27, 28, 29, 30, they are years behind the rest of the teams in developing their car. They need to start in 26 when the regulations reset. And if they don't, it's probably going to be five to 10 years before we hear a serious conversation or serious whispers about them joining the grid. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's, as much as I like the the article by Scott, you know, I, I think there's one sentence that really pops out at me. It says, quote, Porsche still retains an interest in F1, but will not have an entry or affiliation with the team in the medium term. You know, and, and you explained why that, that that is, but it's just like, why would they still be interested in, in Formula One if if now this is a, a 10 year down the road thing or a, a 12 or 15 year down the road thing? It's just like... To to be where you're looking at that, you know that that far down the road, just to, as, like a, as an entry point, it just seems so bizarre when you when you look at what 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 Audi's doing and and relatively how quickly that that program has been spooled up. And I, I know that there's going to be this this weird crossover period with uh, with with Alfa Romeo slash Sauber. I mean, it's going to be interesting. What is this car going to look like? And what's it going to be called next year? Is it going to be just like Sauber Audi or Sauber something? You know, it's, it, they're going to have a bit of an identity crisis. But the point is, I mean, Audi's already committed. They, they, they've, they've got their foot in the door. They're starting to do stuff stuff uh, behind the scenes they've got that target for 2026 firmly in mind with uh, you know some sort of time frame that by the time we get to 2028 
X, that this is where we hope to be challenging for podiums and point finishes and and race wins and all these things. And and Porsche's like, yeah, well, we still have an interest in, in, in F1. I mean, yeah, I still have an interest in a lot of things, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to come off. I just I find I find that the the, the language and that it's, it's almost this um not even really what this this sort of casual commitment or this casual uh, you know casual attitude that they have about like getting into the sport it's just it seems very strange to me i i, I don't really know how to 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 you know voice it other than that other than it's just you know they're like dipping their toe in the water without wanting to jump in the pool my last thought before we move on to the next story is Obviously, last summer and the summer before when it was largely just being rumored that these teams might be these these brands might be joining the ranks of Formula One. I think we were all caught up in this romantic notion of both Porsche and Audi coming to F1, especially since the Volkswagen Auto Group has always kept Formula One at an arm's length. But it never really occurred to anyone to ask the question of why would the Volkswagen Auto Group want two of their sub-brands in Formula One? Like, in what way does that benefit them? Like, obviously, it makes sense to have a brand in Formula One and a competitive brand in Formula One, but is there significant ongoing incremental sustained value in having two brands in Formula One? I think there's probably I think there's probably some folks on the board at the Volkswagen Auto Group that probably aren't unhappy this is happening. They got what they wanted. They have their works team. They're going to be on the grid for 2026. They're probably satisfied. Yeah, but you know, it, it's interesting too, like when you kind of think of like luxury car brands, I mean, it, it, as much as I think that Audi design and builds and, and sell beautiful cars and, and their racing record, especially in other formulas are, you know, is 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 brilliant and second to none. It's just when I see like Audi and Porsche, you would think, especially when you got like Ferrari in Formula One, you got Mercedes in Formula One, you have Aston Martin in Formula One. Wouldn't you kind of want like you like Porsche kind of mixing it up with the with, with those names? Like if if you're like the, the board at Volkswagen and you're thinking about like putting one of your your marks into the sport, wouldn't you just kind of think when you you have like those those really, really luxury, luxury brands that just to me, like Porsche is just a little bit more than than Audi, right? I mean it, it might be optics and splitting hairs, but you know, so it's I I agree. Just, it's a marketing thing, right? I, yeah. I agree, but but, but the difference but, is, yeah. how many Audis do you sell for every Porsche that you sell? Porsche is a very I don't want to say it's a niche product, but it has a very specific market segment, which is folks oh, yeah, that totally. are in the yeah. market for yep. a compact two door, and I guess they've got their SUV game as well. But they have a much smaller lineup of cars. And if you look at Audi, it's a much broader lineup. It it sure. covers a much broader expense of price ranges. We're talking coupes and four doors and four door coupes and SUVs. It's just it's probably easier to translate Audi's success on the grid into the sale of Audi cars than it would be to translate Porsche's success into the sale of Porsche cars simply because their target audience is so much smaller. Yeah, the the whole the 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 old saying, you know, win on Sunday, yes, perfect, sell on perfect. Monday thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that makes total sense, uh, Mark. Hey, let's uh, jump into another break here. When we come back on the other side, let's talk about another uh, manufacturer, another auto brand that is still kind of like you know, talk about dipping your toes into the pool. <laughs> we'll talk about these guys in a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. 
All right. Welcome back to the show. And Mark, sticking with uh, our good friend Scott Mitchell Malm at therace.com. So apparently, Williams, according to Williams, who we just talked about uh, briefly before the break, they say that Honda is not a serious contender for a 2026 Formula One engine deal with the team. And, and you know, I, I still don't know what to make about the whole Honda thing, right? I mean, they sort of, they were in Formula One and then they decided to leave and then decided to commit everything to help Red Bull win a championship in 2021, which they did. And then last year to me, I mean, I I don't even really understand completely what their commitments or how they were in Formula One in 2022 because it seemed like they're they're in and then they're out and then they were HRC and then they were Honda and then they sign up for the 2026 engine regs. It's just like there's so many different moving parts here. But anyhow, um Williams has basically said that uh you know whatever their or whoever their engine partner is going to be in 26, it's not going to be it's not going to be Honda. My money is it's going to be Mercedes. It's, it's just there's too many synergies for that not to be the outcome. And the partnership's been strong. They're relying on more Mercedes parts than ever before. They started using the Mercedes gearbox in 2020, 2022 after using their own for years. They're invested in that ecosystem. My my main takeaway from this well, article to the to the point that their their new team principal is a Mercedes yes, component yes, as yes, well, right? Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I think he would be referred to as a standard supply component um there but, you uh, go. <laughs> actually no standard supply components wrong what is the one hold on hold on i'm gonna get this analogy this metaphor right hold on i've got okay. it up here he would be he would be a again this is a pop quiz for everyone at home he would be a transferable component so he's a part that there can be go. developed by one team and sold to another team uh, and I think we're probably overstating his ongoing relationship to Mercedes at this point. But my takeaway from this article is that one of Williams' apprehensions about exploring a potential partnership with Honda is, and we've heard this so many other places, is that Honda is producing the current power unit for Red Bull and AlphaTauri. We know that. Everyone knows that. But because there's an engine freeze, they literally don't have to do anything except roll these things off the assembly line, stick them in a crate and ship them to Milton Keynes. They're not actively developing it and they don't have currently the staff working on the 2026 power unit. So one of the comments from this article and some of the apprehension that Williams has is that if Honda was serious, they need an entire team of technical experts and engineers actively building a 2026 power unit. Audi's doing it. Red Bull's doing it. Ferrari's doing it, Mercedes is doing it, Honda's not doing it. So while they've while they've signed up to the 2026 power units, if they want to be producing a power unit in 26, they need to start building it now. They actively need mm-hmm. to start working on it. And I'm getting a little bit nervous because I'm super invested in them coming back in 26. I think their presence on the grid is good for Formula One in so many ways. But again, it's oh, March yeah, 24th, 2023. Yep. That engine needs to be it needs to be on a dyno pretty quickly. You need to be running this through a gauntlet of tests and it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist in practice. It doesn't exist in, in a CAD file. It doesn't exist, period. So if Honda's if Honda's interested in doing this, they need to put their money, they need to put their money where their mouth is quickly and start start putting together assembling a team that can start building that power unit. 
Yeah, but I mean, you you raise a good point about there. There's so many synergies, uh, you know, so much synergy with the with the Mercedes at the moment. I mean, they they have that long-standing relationship that they've had Mercedes power units in these uh, these Williams cars for a good number of years, plus all the other components that go along with that. But I mean, we were just uh, we didn't mention James Voles by name just now, but the new team principal at Williams who came in the off season to replace uh, Jos Capito. I mean, he's a Mercedes uh, guy and has been there, you know, during the glory years. So I mean, if if you're James and you're taking over a new role at a new team that is already a partner, why would you try and reinvent the wheel when you're coming from Mercedes and you already know Great about point. like, like, Great point. you know, you know what you're Great getting, point. right? It's just like, you know, like he's the perfect person to really meld, you know, the, and design a new car to all these Mercedes bits that are coming with it. So, you know. So I guess I guess it's kind of like the the, the Red Bull Toroso arrangement, but without being so like like overtly so, because I know <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to in, like incite you to get to, you know I, I should do I know where you're going I'm not gonna fight yeah I know where you're going I know you don't like the whole uh, idea of B teams and junior teams, but not to suggest that uh, that that Williams is of course, but certainly well, that, I think, that would dude, be I think since 2014 yeah. people have posited that that was probably the best possible outcome for Williams was to become especially during the the Frank Williams era especially given all their financial pressures I think people posited that that was probably the best possible outcome for them was to effectively become a Williams B team and and run Williams development drivers and I think maybe one of the good stories that we've heard in the last few years is that while they've become more dependent on Mercedes technology, they've started showing some degree of autonomy when it comes to choosing who's in their car. Yeah, right. I mean, like when they decided to put uh, Alex Albon in their car, who was still at that time under contract, a Red Bull driver, exactly. I thought that was a a really, really gutsy move that that Jos Capito made. I was like, you know, I I like this. I like this, you know, even though that you have like these big teams like Mercedes and and, uh, and Ferrari, maybe to extent Red Bull, although they're really only influencing their their, their, their B team, uh, Alpha Tauri, but Ferrari. Ferrari and uh, and Mercedes certainly think that they have leverage over some of the other teams that they have. I mean, we've seen their drivers in play. I mean, how else would Antonio Giovinazzi, for example, stick around in Formula One like he did? He was just sort of parked at uh, Alfa Romeo, and uh, you know for for a while, and then um, oh, sorry, not Alfa Romeo, uh, Sauber when they were Sauber Ferrari, and then uh, also you know like Pascal Verline, he was in Formula. You know, I mean, when you have like these teams that have relationships, and then you know, like I know that. The one bone of contention that we see is like Ferrari and Haas. So would you see one of these smaller teams like Williams kind of stand up and do their own thing? I think it's a, it's a great thing uh, to see. Anyway, so this is kind of cool. So Netflix is going to be uh, producing and developing a, a mini series on the late, great Ayrton Senna, and they've announced who is going to take the lead role. So this is a Brazilian actor by the name of uh, Gabriel Leon, and he's going to be portraying the three-time uh, world champion saying quote it is a huge responsibility and also a great honor to be able to represent an i an pardon me an icon who inspired so many people throughout his life showing the world brazilian sporting talents knowing that uh, we will bring the story to millions of people in so many countries through netflix it inspires me to to see this as one of the great roles in my career end quote so that is going to be very 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 cool to, to see that come i you know i i 
you know, I like watching things like this when they come out, but I have literally no interest in the business side of like Hollywood or anything like that. So I had no idea that this was even going to be a thing. I mean, we talked, was it last week that we talked about the, uh, what was it, like the Villeneuve um, miniseries that's coming out on Crave or what was HBO Max or whatever it is? I had no idea that there was something, you know, in parallel being done on uh, on Netflix. So th- this is going to be really, really cool. A- any idea when this is going to drop? Mark? Soon. No? No. Soon. No. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I was I was actively Googling it as you were talking, like, when is this coming out? I think it's early in pre-production. I don't think they begin shooting. So probably 2024, but this should be good. I just yeah. I hope that it's I hope as much of it as possible is in Portuguese, which is why I think it's exciting that they've hired a Brazilian actor to portray Ayrton Senna. I think that's very, very and obviously subtitle it, but I think it would be more authentic that way as opposed to having Mm -hmm. some english language american actor trying to portray the great brazilian formula one superstar but very very excited and it's just more formula one content for us to discuss on the show with seth so during the april summer break our first summer break this year we're going to do an episode about rush we're obviously going to do an episode about vilna peroni when we get an opportunity to see that because like you said i think it's going to pop onto crave up here next month i think it's going to be on hbo max pretty soon and i've also heard although i've not had the ability to corroborate this but i also here it's on the f1 tv pro app in the united states already so might be worth checking that oh. out i cannot confirm or deny but i've heard that might be the case but yeah there's tons of great f1 content coming out tons of it that's awesome yeah i, I can't uh, wait to, to rewatch rush and then sit down and talk about totally, with Seth totally. because not, not only is it a great movie like it's it's one of my favorite movies i mean the way that they did that they did that the way that ron howard you know created this movie and brought that saga to life I, you know i just found it you know really you know engrossing i found myself completely immersed in that film and i i i've seen it a couple of times at one time i actually watched it on the plane when i was in a flight over to the uk and i you know i i must admit i'm not a very comfortable flyer i don't you know i i, I don't sit and find you know like very long in those airline you know like those little airliner seats i get uncomfortable very quickly and i I remember being able to watch rush on the on on a flight to the uk one time i sat there for the entire two two and a half hours or whatever it was i didn't even flinch i mean it's just like i turned it on it was is every bit as good on the small screen as it was when i watched it it. save it this is all good stuff i save it for the podcast (laughs) all right all right bottle it up up. don't give it away i will we shouldn't because then we won't be playing fair by Seth. And he's such a nice guy. I don't totally. want to you know, cheat him out of like all the good. Yeah. How many times are we going to go to the Seth? Exactly. Well, every time we need great content and we've run out of stuff to talk about, bring on our Brooklyn friend. As long as Seth keeps answering our phone calls is the answer to yeah, that I've question. I've noticed he's changed his number many times recently. So that might be a sign. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, next one. So this was an interesting one that kind of uh, came a little bit uh, out of the the unexpected quarter of Formula One this uh, week. And apparently Lewis Hamilton has uh, parted uh, ways with his longtime performance coach, Angela Cullen. They've been working together since uh, 2016. And uh, Lewis had to say, quote, uh, for the last seven years, Angela Cullen has been by my side, pushing me to be the best version of myself. I'm a stronger athlete and a better 
better person because of her. So today, I hope you'll join me in wishing her the very best as she takes her next steps to pursue her dreams. Thank you for doing everything, Ange. I can't wait to see what the future has in store for you, end quote. And Cullen said that it's been an honor and pleasure to stand alongside the seven-time world uh, champion. So that was interesting. So uh, Nico Rosberg, Lewis's uh, you know, former teammate, uh, says that uh, he feels that uh, Lewis splitting with, uh, with Angela Cullen could make things even worse for, for Lewis, uh, you know, Com, you know, considering how important that relationship uh, between a driver and their trainer or performance coach uh, actually is. Hammy, do you have any more detail? Can you provide a little bit more color to this story? I was I was caught up in the story during the earlier part of the week because it came as such a it came as such a shock, right? That she's been with him for four yeah. of his titles. You see her constantly. She is his performance coach. She is his physiotherapist. She is his trainer. She's probably, aside from maybe his engineer, possibly the single most important person in his life in terms of getting him ready to drive a Formula One car every Grand Prix race weekend. Like she has been vital. And I think the relationship that the two of them have had has been remarkable. But the the news came really suddenly, right? Like she's here right through the first Grand Prix of the season. And then immediately before Saudi, she's she's gone. Mm. And as I, I read into yep, this yep. because of course you know, the, the rumor mill picks up and it was Lewis fired her or she quit on Lewis. But I think ultimately the reality is she she's almost 50 and she has a young family. And I think the reality is if she's doing this job, she's traveling 300 days a year. That is that is an incredible grind that, you know, I, I used to travel five or six times a year for work and I hated it. It was a grind. I cannot imagine being on the road traveling to 20 countries a year uh, in the spirit of doing my job. And I think that may have been part of it. And it could also just be that another opportunity arose that's going to allow her or enable her to spend more time with her family. We don't know what that is yet, mm -hmm. but I have no reason to think that something, something negative compromise their relationship. And obviously the timing isn't ideal because Lewis isn't winning Grand Prix races, but I also don't fault him for that. I think it's a, a car issue as much as anything. And I certainly don't fault her, but I also don't think that there's that something negative compromised their relationship. And I don't want to read into it in that way. I just think she's got a young family. She travels a huge amount and maybe an opportunity came up that enables her to spend more time with her family and be more planted. Yeah, and I mean that th that should not be you know overlooked because you know, like yourself, I travel quite a bit throughout the, the the year for work and for business as well. I mean, it can be anywhere from a night or two up to I mean, I was away like just uh, the other week for for almost uh, you know seven or eight days or whatever it was. You know, not not quite a week. So you know, is and you know personally, I enjoy it, <laughs> but you know, it can become like you say, it can be a bit of a grind. But even more so, and more to the point, it it makes it difficult for you know the, the family left at home for you know for for your partner for your kids if you have kids you know for for them to do all those things i mean like when i went away on my most recent uh, trip when i woke up in the morning to to get ready i turned on the, the tap to have a shower and nothing but ice cold water came out so in addition to me having you know travel arrangements and then going to be away for the next uh, several days almost an entire week and just having the grind of having to get the kids out of bed get them to school 
school, getting them to do their homework. You don't know, my wife is on top of that is having to arrange to get a plumber in to to bring in a new hot water tank and all the inconvenience that that that's around. So I mean, you know, you you can see why if in, in a similar case, if Evangela's had that opportunity to to find something fulfilling and rewarding, that obviously is not going to be like working with Lewis Hamilton and Formula One and all the glitz and the glamour and 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 the challenges, of course. I mean, we see that the flashy side of Formula One in you know on TV for for races and things like that. But I mean, you know, for, you know, three hundred days a year that's a huge commitment. And it, at at some point, even the best of us, uh, of us will say that you know it's you know it's it's been a good run, but. It's it's time to to do something else. So I would think it's it's probably something something like that. It's just it's just interesting though the timing. Just a couple of races into the season. So I mean, if that's the case that that an opportunity came up for her, it must have been one heck of a good opportunity. Or you know, it's just like I I just can't do this anymore. I mean, it's it's going to be one uh, or the other. Okay, so uh, moving along, a bike ban. Hamilton, what 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 do bikes and Formula One have in common? Tell me. If this is a joke, tell me. <laughs> okay. So, uh, anyways, uh, Formula One drivers okay, and T-Personnel okay, are okay. not... Okay, you set that yes. up as a oh, joke. Oh, you, you know the story now? I don't, oh. but I, I know the story. I know the story. I just thought you were about to tell me, as, like, hey, a Formula One car on a bike walked into a bar. Like, I thought that's the direction you were going. <laughs> I didn't think you were teeing me up to share not the story. Quite. Yeah. But... A story did erupt last week before the Formula One Grand Prix that FOM, not the FIA, because the FOM is responsible for what happens on track between sessions. The FOM sent out a statement saying that scooters, electric scooters, bikes and e-bikes are banned from the Thursday track walk. So on Thursday, as the cars are being assembled before free practice on Friday, Teams are free. They usually have, I think, a two and a half or three and a half hour block where they can walk the track. And it's designed to help familiarize drivers with the conditions, the the layout, bumps, hills, look at the curbs, get a general sense of the track that maybe they wouldn't be able to get from driving around it. Not all drivers do it. Lewis doesn't. Max doesn't. And I think a lot of drivers did do it, but they would typically do it on bikes. But the FOM has announced that bikes and scooters are banned, that if you're going to participate in the track walk on Thursday, you have to do it by foot. Uh, Some interesting comments arose, and I thought one of them was really good. This comment here from Charles Leclerc, I didn't walk around, he said, and as I think they've just issued a new thing where we cannot go around the track with a bicycle, you probably won't see me around the track anymore, and I'll just watch the videos. (laughs) Nico Hulkenberg noted, I wanted to do it now, but they blocked the track, and now it's all gone wrong. I'll watch the safety car and see tomorrow. So it looks like, and that was actually a wrong quote, but it looks like it's just been banned. A lot of drivers don't do it, but it is still a valuable exercise size but yeah no more bikes no more e-scooters during track walk thursdays and then they'll moving on from that maybe after 2025 no more pirelli because apparently the fia's launched an invitation for tender uh for tire suppliers for the 2025 ah, season and onwards so quiz. Perfect timing. So FIA has launched a tender for F1 tire Mm -hmm. supplier from 2025. Last week, we talked about all the different types of components in an F1 car. So I'm going to remind you of them. There are listed team components. There are transferable components. There are standard Mm -hmm. supply components. And then there are Mm -hmm. open source components. Which of those four or five is a tire. 
standard supply components? You got it. Absolutely. So yes. this is, we're learning, our listeners are learning, but the FIA has put out a tender. Excellent. <laughs> Hello, my name is Mr. Burns. <laughs> but the FIA has sent out a tender for a new, potentially a new F1 tire supplier from 2025. So Pirelli is locked in this year and next, and the FIA is doing its due diligence and is exploring potential other options. I don't think that this is realistic. I think that developing a Formula One tire compound is exceedingly difficult and exceedingly expensive. And I think Pirelli's done a superb job. So I don't know that anyone else is willing to take this on, but it will be interesting to watch. Not in that time frame. Not, yeah, exactly. Not in that time frame. That's too quick, too quick. But they are looking, I think they're looking for somebody that would sign up for an agreement to supply tires for, I'm looking here, 2025 to 2027 with an option in place for 2028. It's also a very small commitment that, hey, look, we need you to have tires on the grid in 2024 for testing, and we're only going to give you a commitment for three years. It's very, very tight. But this is one of those standard supply components. And if you listen to our last Thursday show, these are one of those standard components that teams have to buy. So the FIA, FIA yep. will sign an agreement, they'll designate a supplier, and the teams all have to use those same parts. So standard supply components are things like fuel flow meters, Thank you, Ferrari circa 2019. It would be driver <laughs> radios. It would be the BBS wheels. It would be the tires Halos? and the wheel covers and things like that. Halos? Is that so a standard I supply I don't component? know that it is. So you said that last time yeah. and I agreed, but I'm not sure that it actually is. I'll, hmm, I'll, find, I'll find that out for next time. I'll find that out for next time. Okay. Yeah, so but I mean, like you say, it, it seems very strange that you know they they want like a new tire supplier potentially for 2025, which is less than two years down the road. But then just like such, you know, only for like you know two like basically three seasons, three seasons, 25, 26, 27, and then an option for 28. It's just kind of like you know if it isn't Pirelli, it's just like why would say your Goodyears, your Michelins, your Firestones, your whoever, or Continental, whoever it might be, come in and just like, well, how are we going to develop a tire compound in less than 24 months or have it on the track for 2024 and then you know for for maybe three years four at best it just it seems a bit a bit strange you know unless they're they're trying to stimulate interest beyond 2028 maybe that's a little bit more more realistic but i do agree i think that pirelli have done a, a pretty good job and i kind of like the the idea and just from a perspective or a, a fan enjoyment point of view is that i like the move that they went back just to the the soft medium and hard compound as much as it was kind of like interesting to have like your ultra softs your super softs your hyper softs you know yeah. it did get yeah. kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit confusing where whereabouts in the like in the in the tire compound like the hardness range are they the super softs, you know, harder than the ultra softs and, and vice versa? So it's kind of like, a, so you got like your hard, medium softs, and then you got your C1, C2, C3. You got your compound types going from your hard to your soft and, uh, and vice versa. Okay, so just a couple more stories. So uh, Red Bull's dominance avoid or risk triggering the, the uh, reaction they are anxious to can we, avoid. Can we save that? So we're going to record a podcast on Sunday. Oh, gonna, and You want to save yeah, that? I think that would be the oh, perfect way okay. to set up that podcast because I want to have a conversation about you tease, our way Mr. too Hamilton. early. Hey, you do the perfect teases before the breaks. We're just teasing another podcast <laughs> entirely. But I would love to use that podcast to, 
kind of talk about our way too early reactions to the 2023 Formula One season. And I think that article tees it up perfectly. So if you're cool with that, let's save that for Sunday. Oh, I'm cool with anything. You know, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the time here. If you want to cut it off a little bit early for once, uh, I'm happy with that as well. So um, any, anything else we want to talk about tonight or we run through the the outline, you know, from, from top to bottom yeah, so and all the way back I again. I appreciate you running a slightly shorter show tonight. We weren't sure how I was going to hold up and we didn't want to commit to our normal hour 45. So if you were expecting the seven <laughs> ad break, one hour and 45 minute episode with seven, seven athletic greens intermissions, I apologize, uh, but we'll be back to our normally <laughs> scheduled show on, on Sunday. So Sunday, we've got another action-packed show for you. And of course, we'll be back a week today because we'll be previewing the Australian Grand Prix at Albert Park. The only other comment that I would have is if you want to support the show, obviously a rating on Spotify and a rating and review on Apple are fantastic. They really do help us. And then finally, if you're interested in subscribing to a copy of the Race Weekend magazine, know that we do get a small commission and it goes a long way to help us invest in this show and continue to make it better. So with that, my friend, I'll let you sign us off. Yes, and thank you one and all for joining us uh, this week. Uh, if you want to get in touch, send us a tweet at ScooterF1Pod or send us an email at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's a wrap. Enjoy the weekend, and we'll be back in a couple of nights, and we'll talk to you then. Bye for now.